Welcome to Brazen Education with Educator Barnes, a podcast with a focus on speaking your truth, being transparent to help others, and having no shame about it. Because we can't move forward until the truth is known. Welcome back to Brazen Education. This is part two of Let's Talk About Sex Education. Today, my special guest is Scott Phelps. He is the Executive Director of Abstinence and Marriage Education Partnership, and he was recommended to me by the wonderful ladies behind Get Up and Teach. Scott, welcome to the show today. Hey, good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's hop right into it. Last time on my show, we talked a little bit about inclusive education, but what's really important to me um, is to share with my listeners about abstinence-based education. Um, I have a couple of reasons for that. One, I have been a Hoosier, been in Indiana my whole entire life, and in Indiana, um, our um, sex education programming is abstinence-based, and um, most of my followers know I am a practicing Christian, and that is the way I am raising my sons with my husband. So it was important um, to me to make sure I did a a well-rounded approach of talking about all the various um, ways that we can have this conversation. So Scott, what is your approach um, to talking about um, sex education with our youth? Yeah, good. Uh, Glad to hear all of that. And I think uh, it's great that you're in Indiana. I think of all of the laws in the country governing uh, this topic, Indiana for me is at the top. Uh, There are a lot of states that have very convoluted, unhelpful uh, guidance, but I think the Indiana guidance is actually quite helpful. and so I think that's that's really a good thing. What we need public policy to do is provide students with the optimal health options available to them. And abstinence until marriage certainly is that regarding sexual activity. So our approach is what we do is we train and equip ed- educators and parents to teach programs and to inform public policy and Uh, media outlets uh, on the benefits of absence until marriage. We don't do a lot of direct education with students. We do some, but mostly it's uh, larger than that. That's how we actually started out uh, is working in classrooms in Chicago, in the public schools, in the inner city. uh, And that's really how we got started. And so our approach is uh, really equipping and informing and encouraging with factual information. Uh, We make a really key distinction between, say, education and indoctrination. (laughs) Indoctrination is me sort of sharing my personal beliefs and trying to push my personal beliefs on others. Education, on the other hand, is providing critical thinking skills and really leading and guiding and helping students to come to conclusions on their own that are good and healthy. And so we want to walk them through that process. So, for example, I will say to kids when I'm talking to kids, look, I'm not here to tell you what to do. The choices you're going to make are your own. But I think I can share with you some information that could be really helpful for you in deciding what you want to do. And so that's really the way we want to do it. We want to really equip young people to make good, healthy, informed decisions about their future. And we would make a clear distinction between an objective presentation and a subjective presentation. Much of what's out there today, unfortunately, is subjective. It's a person's personal beliefs and values and ideas being sort of communicated to young people. 
We don't believe that really has any place in a classroom. Um, we believe that the role of the educator, and you would know this as an educator yourself, is to equip young people with objective information, factual information, uh, research-based information. So, uh, for example, uh, everything that we say is rooted in research. Independent of what I may think about the thing, this is what the thing is. And so uh, everything that we say, all of our materials are uh, well-resourced and documented uh, so that we are giving good, clear, precise guidance to our young people. So uh, we're not about trying to get kids to, you know, take on a, a personal opinion of an educator, but rather a fact have, have a factual understanding so that they can make good decisions for us that's our approach uh, i would say our mission statement is this absence in a marriage education partnership exists to ensure that every teenager in the country has the opportunity to hear a clearly reasoned positive presentation on the benefits of absence until marriage and instructional and preparing for a healthy future marriage. We think every kid in the country should have that opportunity. And sadly, they don't right now. Uh, most schools around the country, anecdotally, I would say, um, do not teach the benefits of abstinence until marriage. They may teach some form of abstinence, meaning, you know, if you don't want to get pregnant on Friday night, don't have sex on Friday night. They will treat it as sort of a birth control option among many. But in terms of a understanding the object, objective framework of choosing to reserve all sexual activity for the context of marriage, it's not a concept that's out there. And so we exist to sort of fill that gap to help schools communicate a clear message on the benefits of abstinence. So I could go on, but I better take a breath and then let you say something. And then I can do some PowerPoint stuff, show some facts and figures that way too, um, whatever you wanna do. Yeah, you can go ahead and uh, share your screen. And I appreciated what you said about, um, even though you're sharing this information, you're not necessarily sharing a belief system, you're sharing things rooted in research, and it is an option. I know some of the pushback I initially got with the first episode is like, how are you a Christian and like sharing this inclusive information that I did on the first episode? And I said, you know, um, people who are Christians or ha who have certain beliefs, their beliefs are not going to necessarily be changed because they hear other information. And so at the end of the day, like you said, if you're sharing information with students um, who will grow up to be adults, they will make the decisions about whether or not you know, they're going to choose a certain a life path or not. And I also appreciate this distinction between indoctrination and education, because sometimes I feel like indoctrination sometimes gets like synonymous with other things that are negative. And when you make that clear on the front end, I think that helps uh, children understand and families understand that this is just an option. And here's the research um, behind it. Um, so what are some of the things that you share um, with parents and um, teachers as you're preparing them to educate uh, our youth. All right, well, let me go ahead and do my screen and kind of show you what I'll do is a little bit of a walkthrough with some of the things that I do at our teacher training seminars. And that's what I do as I go around the country doing seminars for educators to help them understand uh, how, if they choose, and, and again, I'll just, I, I talk to my educators in many ways, the same way as I talk to my young people. And that is, you don't have to do this. I'm just laying this out as an option that you may wish to incorporate in your health curriculum. This, by the way, is not sex education, it's absence education. We would see those as two different things. 
Um, and so we are not, uh, we don't carry any burden to discuss all things sexual youth with young people. That's not our goal. We're not trying to inform and educate them about everything there is to do with sex. We have a very uh, limited scope to communicate the one message that most young people aren't hearing today, and that is the exclusive benefits of reserving all sexual activity for marriage. We have a very clear purpose. We want to make sure that in all the noise about sex, that they are having the opportunity to learn about the value and the benefits of sex within the context of marriage. Um, I don't know, for example, in terms of the difference between sex education, I was on a TV show called The Doctors a couple of years ago, and I was talking with this uh, sex education person. And uh, I said to her the same thing I'll, I'll throw out to you, and that is I don't know of a single sex education program in America that will even, and so if you know of one, please let me know honestly, because I want to know if there is one. Um, I don't know of a single sex education program in America that will even give students the information on the benefits of reserving all sexual activity for marriage. I don't know of a sex education program that does that. Um, I didn't, again, the difference between sex education is absence education. We are A and M, absence and marriage education. We believe those two things fundamentally have to go together because we're not saying don't ever have sex. We're simply saying that sex reserved for the context of marriage is what's good and valuable. So I listened to part one. This is part two. I listened to part one, which was an hour on sex education. The word marriage never came up. So that's typical. It's typical. Um, also, at the end of the podcast, uh, one of the presenters referenced the curriculum that they teach. And so I went and Googled that up and did a word search for marriage. It isn't there. So this is just a common uh, dif difference that I would make between absence education and sex education is sex education is essentially a codification of the sexual revolution of the 1960s, which basically said you don't really need to be married. What you need to do is get yourself a bunch of contraceptive products and go out there and have sex with a whole bunch of different people. It'll be fun. It'll be great. Um, and if I'm if I'm fair and I want to be fair, uh, I would say what sex education would say is there's nothing wrong with sex. Sex is natural. Sex is normal. But bad things can happen like pregnancy or disease, as though those two things are similar. And so what you need to do is you need to learn how to protect yourself from the bad things. And so here's a bunch of contraceptive options that you can choose so that you can enjoy the pleasures of sex because sex is good. I think that would be the position of sex education. I would hope to be representing them properly, fairly, and correctly. And I think they would agree that that's their view. Sex is good and wonderful and special, but we want to help people not be harmed by it. Therefore, we will provide contraceptive uh, products. The difference between that and absence education is we would also say that sex is a good, natural, normal part of life, but that within the context of marriage, it's the safest, healthiest expression of that sexual activity and that outside the context of marriage, there are a whole host of potential consequences, not just things like STDs. And pregnancy, we wouldn't even see as a consequence. We don't see pregnancy as a negative thing. We think pregnancy is a good thing, a beautiful thing, a special thing. And in fact, it's so good and so special and so wonderful. We think young people should be encouraged to understand the benefits of reserving pregnancy and childbearing for the context of marriage, where that will be better for the child and better for the adults. And again, we're not just making stuff up. We've got tons of research to back that up, that a child is going to do better in the context of a in a home with two married parents. Uh, and so we want to communicate that to young people and help them understand that. So that would be my uh, delineation between a sex education program 
have sex, but use quote unquote protection. And we, absence education would also say have sex in the context of marriage. That would be the key difference, okay? Um, so our program is gonna be exclusively about how to help young people realize and understand why waiting for marriage matters and why marriage is a good and worthy goal. We see marriage as foundational to culture and marriage and families as necessary to a healthy culture and society. And we wanna help young people learn how to form healthy marriages. Um, you know, the internet and the media uh, fills our kids' minds with sexual messages and sexual imagery, right? I mean, there's no lack of sexual uh, imagery and messaging out there. But at my training seminars, I asked the uh, educators if they can help me think through <clears throat> how much of the sex that kids are seeing in the media communicates to them the value of sex within the context of marriage. You don't have to think very long about that. It's just not there. Uh, it's very hard to find anywhere in today's mass media, whether that's on the Internet or on a te television show or in a movie that demonstrates or encourages the benefits of reserving sex for marriage. And so that's why we exist. We exist to fill this gaping void uh, and to help our young people see sex not as something harmful to be protected from, but rather special and beautiful and wonderful to be enjoyed in its full expression with a marriage partner who's committed to me for life. And so uh, we provide programs, uh, our, re our uh, curriculum division uh, provides uh, programs for schools around the country. No, thanks for that clarification um, with uh, sex education versus abstinence education, because I think some of my listeners may not have even thought about that as two distinct um, things, because a lot of times, most of us, if we had abstinence education, or at least we thought we had it, it was as an option within sex education, yes. as you said, as not being um, to protect you from getting pregnant or getting an STD. It was like, like you said, a form of birth control. But one of the things I found interesting that you said was that the, um, that with the abstinence education, that it protects people from other things outside of STDs. So where are some of the things that you communicate um, that could be a consequence when kids are, or people are not um, exuding that self-control over their bodies? Um, to wait um, to have sex when they are um, com in a committed marriage. Yeah, so we really are going to take a comprehensive approach to that, and we're going to look at the whole person physically, emotionally, mentally, socially, in every way. It's, so let's take let's take STDs for example. Uh, of the different uh, aspects of uh, of the human person, uh, we would say that falls in the physical category, right? If you get genital herpes or something like that, a sexually transmitted disease, we would put that in the physical category. However, does that also have an emotional impact on a person? Does it also have an, a mental impact on a person? Does it also have a social impact? We would say that, that affects people, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, and socially as well. Um, so we're going to walk through those different aspects of uh, human personhood and help them think how sexuality affects those. So for example, with the social, if a student is sexually active, are there social ramifications to that? And the answer is typically, yes, there are. 
Um, students who are involved in sexual activity tend to be involved in other risk behaviors, whether that's drugs or alcohol or tobacco usage. Uh, and also academic achievement. The Centers for Disease Control has, has released a report on uh, sexual behavior and academic achievement. And there is a very clear uh, line of demarcation between abstinent teens and sexually active teens, and that the grade performance of sexually active teens is significantly deteriorated uh, over against their abstinent peers. That's research put out by the Centers for Disease Control. So. And that would make sense, right? So if a student is sexually active, there is a mental, emotional, and social impact of that that does then impact academic performance. One of the things that we're very uh, much committed to communicating to our young people is what's called the success sequence. And the success sequence is something identified by researchers, maybe you're familiar with it, but it basically has uh, three essential components that it's not a guarantee, but it's simply a pathway that can be and often is beneficial for young people. And the three steps are number one, gra uh, graduate either from high school, a GED or college, but get a, get a degree, get a diploma. Uh, so finish a level of education, whether that's high school or college. And then uh, get a job, full-time employment, so you are self-sufficient, not dependent on someone else. Uh, so graduate, get a job, get an uh, get an employment, and then thirdly, reserve uh, childbearing for the context of marriage. So marry before having children. What the researchers tell us, and this is Brookings Institute, this is uh, American Enterprise Institute, this is University of Virginia, many places that have put these studies out. Um, I think Barbara Defoe Whitehead, Marlene Pearson, many people have have looked at this. Brad Wilcox. Uh, Ron Haskins, a uh, number of different researchers. Anyway, uh, so what they're saying is students who graduate, get a job, marry, and then have children in that order uh, tend to do well. Uh, it is almost impossible following that pattern to end up below the poverty line or on welfare. And so uh, family really has, it goes to family formation, right? So it's academic achievement, uh, employment skills and uh, marriage and family. So those are the things that are very consistent with what we're trying to teach our kids in abstinence education. And we find that uh, it is very, very helpful uh, for young people to know uh, these things. So I appreciate you sharing that it's almost like this progression and it's not, it's not just about the individual child, it's about the consequences and the impact on the greater society if you know you don't have yes. these solid uh, family units entering society because there's a lack of education, lack of employment, and a lack of um, this family structure. Um, in your work, do you guys um, talk about like puberty and like the emotions and the hormones that kids have that sometimes make them feel like they need to engage in sexual activity or if they're feeling attracted to someone, you guys talk about what students can do if they are choosing to follow the abstinence path, but they're finding it difficult, but they want to do it. Yes, very much so. So one of the uh, core components of what we're going to teach is self-control, right? That's resisting bodily urges of all different. Uh, that goes with eating too, for example, right? So just learning self-control. Think about this. Where in our culture today 
uh, is there any sort of lesson or expression of self-control for young people? It's really lacking, right? So kids today have access to so much and what they're not learning is, is self-discipline, self-control, learning how to regulate behaviors. Uh, again, that goes to in terms of diet, exercise, and a whole host of areas that uh, is going to be a consistent message. And that's the other thing. Everything that we're teaching them is consistent with good health. Uh, and, and so, yes, what we do is what's called refusal skills and how to resist sexual pressure, how to communicate your beliefs, how to uh, uh, understand the benefits of, of not only making a commitment. That's a big part of it. It's It's basically... Uh, having the resolve that that there is something worth waiting for. This is another key part of why marriage comes into our conversation. If the message is just don't have sex, uh, that's a very difficult message to be able to um, uh, embrace <laughs> because there's no uh, there's no benefit to it seemingly. So, in other words, uh, the marriage and family and and successful future, we would say, that they're looking for is the motivator toward that end. For example, when we talk to kids about goal setting, which we think is very important, all of our programs start off with goal setting. Where do you want to go in life? What do you want to be? How are you going to get? It's really important to help students think about setting goals. And when I do that, I will often, uh, they will often say to me, one of their goals is college. So we're talking about middle school students, high school mm -hmm. students. So if I'm at the uh, standing at the chalkboard writing things down, asking them about their future hopes and goals and dreams, college will almost always come up. So I'm able to say to them now, time out a minute, time out a minute. Are you telling me that you love school so much you can't wait to get out of here so you can go sit down for four more years and sit in class? Of course not. They're not telling you they want to go to college because they love going to school and taking tests and doing homework. They're not saying they want to go to college for that reason. No, they're they want to go to college because they understand that college provides hopefully a pathway to a better future. If I go to college, it will help me learn things that will help me do well. And so uh, this again is going to be consistent with self this coming back to self-discipline. In other words, there's reasons why I want to do things. So I'm going to resist sexual pressure, not because my body doesn't want it. It does. But I'm learning self-control and I have the ability to control myself and I need to control myself in a host of areas. This is one of many areas in which I need to control myself. I need to study well in school so that I can get into a college, so that I can get the job that I want, so that, so that, so that. And so they understand that already. This comes back to education versus indoctrination. I'm not just telling them stuff. I'm helping draw out of them things they already know, which is what good education is. So I'm wanting to sort of take their starting point of, I want to go to college because I want life to go well for me. I want to be an educated person and I want to have a pathway. Let's start there. They all have that. And by the way, as it relates to marriage, the University of Michigan does fantastic research called the Monitoring the Future Survey. And in that survey, what they find year after year, well, it's not sequential years because they only ask the particular question in certain years, but over the past, I want to say four decades now, I think starting in the 70s, is that four decades? Maybe more. Um, 
I think 77 is the first one that I've seen, but they ask this question, how important is it to you to have a good marriage and family? And I think you'd be surprised at the percentage of high school seniors saying having a good marriage and family is quite or extremely important to me. It's about 90% consistently over the last four decades. So that is what that tells me is that young people universally have a desire for their future to go well. And for a large measure, that includes getting married and having a family, but no one's talking to them about how to get, where do they learn about that? Where do they learn today about how to form a healthy marriage and family? And like I said, sex education isn't gonna talk about that. Um, and so we think that's a massive gap that needs to be filled. And it's one, here's the key thing. It's one that kids are dying to learn about. Uh, it's something that they don't get to learn about. And when they do get to learn about, it's like uh, water to a thirsty soul. They are very, very grateful to have the education on how to prepare for a healthy future marriage. They all have it in here. They want it, but no one's really talking to them about it. It's one of the reasons why our programs work so well. No, I agree about that because students, they have a thirst for knowledge. And most people want their future to be positive and well and healthy. Who doesn't? Great. Who doesn't? Um, and when they don't have the opportunity to get questions answered from trusted sources, they're going to seek out answers and they may not be rooted in research or in fact, it could be something some kid's older brother told him that is not anywhere based in reality. So I think it's super important. So thinking about abstinence-based education, what age or uh, group are, I guess, do you say start to have these conversations in elementary school wait till kids hit puberty when they get to middle school. Um, when do you suggest if I'm a parent that's choosing this path um, for yes. my children, like when should I start these conversations? Yeah, good point. Uh, our programs run six through 12 grade. Again, we're gonna provide materials for parents and educators. And most of our materials are designed for grades six through 12. Even six is a little bit early for some kids. Uh, but uh, we have a number of schools that like doing it in the sixth grade, and it does work there. I find that there are uh, large leaps between sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. They're, those are big stair steps. Uh, I find I prefer working with the seventh graders as a starting point, but uh, some will start in sixth graders. Uh, younger than six, what I encourage parents to do is read through our materials. And as appropriate, be starting some of those conversations a little bit earlier with the material that you feel is most appropriate at that age level. Uh, I'm not an advocate of starting really early. I know many people are. Uh, many people are advocating that you start, you know, very young. Um, that's fine. That's their opinion. It's not mine. I don't share it. Um, uh, we find that it works best starting in about the sixth grade to have the conversation. Now, the caveat to that is with the internet, with the screens, with the phones, our kids are being exposed earlier and earlier ages. And so that has to factor in. So in that case, I think parents do need to have conversations to the extent that they're exposed to these things, right? All parents are going to have different uh, exposure rates with their kids, depending on their parenting style, depending on their environment. Um, so yes, Definitely parents need to be having conversations with their kids earlier, especially if they're exposed to more and more through technology or friends or school or whatever. I know you have some materials that you wanted to share. I'm going to put back the share screen um, so you can share a little bit of your resources that you wanted to share. 
Oh, goodness. Okay. Well, I was going to do, uh, yeah, let me put, uh, uh, do you see my full screen now? I do. All right. So let me just run through a few things here real quickly then. Uh, this is a part of what I will cover in a typical training seminar, which kind of gives some of the foundation. Some of this I've kind of gone through quickly in a riff, uh, but I'll go through it uh, just briefly here. So how did I get into this? I started off by doing counseling and I kept seeing uh, issues in people that I was trying to help and counsel uh, that all seem to have a common root of sexual activity outside the context of marriage. And so it was that that led me uh, into the work that I'm doing now. Uh, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation uh, and others, teens today are exposed to about nine hours of media per day. Um, and then you think about all the imagery that they're getting today. We went, I already went over this, but there's no uh, sense in which kids in watching media would even see a relationship between sex and marriage, let alone a positive one. Uh, they're going to see all forms of uh, sexuality uh, without seeing sexuality within the context of marriage. That's a concern that is having an impact on our young people. And our goal then is to address that concern. So yes, our uh, curriculum division, a Resources, provides four different programs for schools or parents or homeschoolers. Uh, if they want to go through these materials with their kids, they can. Uh, the first one, AC Green's game plan, we did with AC Green from the NBA. He was a three-time uh, NBA champion with the LA Lakers. Uh, he played for several different teams, and we uh, wrote this book together uh, to help young people understand uh, the benefits of waiting. AC Green was an outspoken advocate for waiting until marriage. Uh, and then we wrote uh, Quest and Aspire and Navigator. And so these are just all, all four workbooks are going to have the same essential message that sex is wonderful and special and beautiful and best reserved for the context of a marriage relationship. And we're going to use different stories, different analogy, different statistics, facts and figures to make the same essential point. Okay. I want to help parents and educators. We're one of the leading providers of programs in the country, some 2 million kids. These are schools or organizations around the uh, country that have used our programs. And uh, right now we're doing a lot of work in Illinois, for example, this is the Chicago area, just to give you an idea. Um, okay, zip through some of this. So this is a question I like to ask of all the uh, issues that we're concerned about regarding our teens. What is the fundamental problem that we face today? And as I work through these uh, discussions with our educators at our seminars, um, the normal answer here is going to be the fourth one, breakdown of marriage and family. What we're typically going to understand is things like teen pregnancies, STDs, and sexual activity tend to be symptomatic of broken marriage and family. And so what I'm saying is let's step back and understand the larger framework of what it is we're dealing with. I would say that things like teen pregnancy and STDs and even sexual activity are symptoms. We don't want to spend our time chasing symptoms. We want to actually understand and identify the core problem here. So uh, Glenn Stanton wrote a book called Why Marriage Matters. He's a researcher and his analysis of the available, da available data 
indicates, as he says here, of all the social problems facing American civilization, the decline of marriage, breakup of the family is unquestionably our most pressing problem. Its impact is widespread and comprehensively destructive. And he goes on to uh, delineate some of that. Uh, when men and women fail to form stable marriages, the first result is a vast expansion of government attempts to cope with the terrible social needs that result. There is scarcely a dollar the state and federal government spends on social programs. It is not driven in large part by family fragmentation, crime, poverty, drug abuse, teen pregnancy, school failure, mental and physical health problems. Maggie Gallagher also is a researcher, along with Linda Wade at the University of Chicago, wrote the book, The Case for Marriage. And what they were saying is that when you look at cultures where you have strong, healthy marriages, uh, you do not see the uh, family fragmentation and the crime and the poverty and drug abuse and so forth that uh, so are associated with those things. So uh, this is just a matter of understanding the benefits of uh, marriage and family. Now, here's one that I want to share with you that is a real surprise to most people, uh, I find. When I ask where the highest rates of birth outside of marriage occur, uh, most people are going to be very surprised by the answer. And uh, I, won't, I won't put you on the spot and give an answer right now as I do in my seminars. because. <laughs> well, based on what you said, it makes it feels like my gut would say the teenage range. But based as you said, that's not what people would think. I think maybe it's like older. So, Well, um, see, you're a, you're a good student. You're a good <laughs> student. You're on to something. So let's take a look at the answer. You're right. Most people are going to say ages 15 to 19 or 20. Actually, 20 to 24 is the largest raise of hands in the room. And then 15 to 19. Well, here's the answer. Every once in a while, I'll get someone who says 25 to 30, which is the answer. Highest rates, 25 to 30. Number two, then, is going to be, ready? Number three. And now what do you think number four is going to be? Oh, I'm trying to think if it's going to be the higher range. I know. Now I'm <laughs> in the spot. Making my brain work. I want to say, yeah, the 35 to 40 would be number four. So I mean, so the lowest range would be the teenagers. <laughs> By wow. quite a margin. By yeah. quite a margin. And then when you take the teenagers and you break that down further, because see, when I say teenagers, we think high school, right? And so uh, we need to sort of step back and say, well, no, no, teen includes college age kids. So let's let's zoom in on this uh, 15 to 19 segment. And when we do look at what we're going to find, we're going to find that the uh, vast majority of teen pregnancies are actually college age girls, not high school girls. And then if you compare the high schoolers with everybody else, look at what you find that the percentage of non-marital births uh, is dramatically higher among adults 18 and above. 95% of all non-marital births are the 18 to uh, 18 and above. Well, learn something new every day. <laughs> right? Now here's Illinois, just because I've, these are workshops I was doing for Illinois recently, mm -hmm. I've got the Illinois data in here, but the U.S. data is parallel. The, the, the graph for U.S. would look identical to this, okay? This just happens to be the Illinois data, which is consistent with the national data. And what you see is that teen pregnancies, teen births, and teen abortions are all at all-time recorded lows. Now, nobody knows this, okay? Nobody knows. I would not know this if I didn't do this for a living. Uh, you, you won't read this in the paper. Uh, and so it's important for us, again, to sort of step back and understand uh, kind of where we're at and what's happening. 
and uh, you can see dramatic uh, decreases uh, in the Illinois uh, birth rate, for example. These aren't minor drops. These are seismic. These are no, this is pretty, pretty significant. And I think, you know, there's this rampant fear that if we don't have these conversations, kids are going to get pregnant. But it sounds like some of the people that need to be in the classes are actually the adults. <laughs> you know, you are you, you are really on to something, because here's the point that I would make with you on on what you just said. We have no trouble with this message with teenagers. Teenagers eat this stuff up. They love it. Uh, it's the adults. It's the adults that are the difficulty. If we can get the adults to uh, to sign on, <laughs> to <laughs> seriously, if you get in front of the kids, they eat it up. But in in too many cases, uh, uh, it's the adults. So I think you're onto something there. All right, let's see what I've got next. I can't see my next slide, but so this is fascinating. So let's go to the next slide. Uh, in just a moment. So here you see dramatic drops in Illinois births and you say, well, what's the cause of this? And the cause would be, what would you, what's, what's going to be the cause of decreased birth rates? I mean, there's, there's really going to be two things, right? It's going to be increased contraceptive use among mm -hmm. teens and less sexual activity among teens. And the answer is those two things, certainly contraception. Um, I would say, you know, one of the pushbacks I get is, oh, you're not teaching kids about condoms. Well, you know, we're not concerned about the condom message. That that message is ubiquitous. It's kind of like the mask thing, you know. <laughs> Everybody needs it. Yeah, we get it. We get it. Um, condoms. Kids, kids get the condom message. You can go anywhere and kids will say, oh, yeah, make sure to protect yourself. <clears throat> what this uh, uh, chart shows from the uh, National Survey of Family Growth government data is that 97%, that's virtually all sexually active females have used condoms. Uh, and so that's not a message that is lacking in society. Again, the, the lacking message is the benefits of waiting until marriage. So condoms are certainly uh, a big part as well as the pill and the patch and the shot. Uh, all of those things have indeed contributed to a lower birth rate, uh, but, couple other things. Uh, birth rates overall are down, not just among teens, but overall. But then secondly, how is it that you have STD rates at all-time highs? So here, riddle me this, Batman. How do you have all-time low pregnancies and birth rates, birth rates and all-time high STD rates? How, how is that happening? That is a good question. Well, except it's not that difficult <laughs> because uh, contraceptives are designed to prevent the fertilization of an egg. That's what a contra all these contraceptive methods are not disease prevention methods. They are contraceptives. The word contraception simply means conception to conceive the fertilization of the egg. Contra the negative prefix. It's to prevent. It's against conception. That's what contraception is. It's against conception. And all these products are designed to that end. Um, so, so very effective in accomplishing their intended purpose to prevent fertilization and thus pregnancy. Uh, but they are woefully inadequate to prevent the spread of disease. And so STD rates are at an all-time high. So condom usage is up. And look at this. 
sexual uh, activity among teens. This is Centers for Disease Control, latest data out of the Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance. It, it comes out every two years. Our latest data is 19. Uh, 21 might be out now. I'll have to go back and take a look at that. But uh, last I checked, which was not too long ago, it was still 19. Uh, look at this. According to the CDC, you've got about a quarter of teens uh, in high school, high school age teens, uh, are sexually active. Um, the reason this is important is because um, I know one of your questions has to do with misconceptions. And one of the misconceptions about our work is, well, you know, they're all doing it. They're all doing it. There's not, the best thing you can do is throw condoms at them because they're all going to do it anyway. And the reality is, is that most are not doing it. Uh, a significant majority of high school students are not currently sexually active, according to the CDC. And about half have never had any sexual contact of any kind. Um, so the reality is that most teens are abstinent. And what they need from adults and parents and teachers is guidance and help and encouragement to stay focused academically, to avoid sexual pressures, and to reserve sexual activity for the context of marriage, because that is optimally the safest, healthiest choice. It's inarguable. It's not debatable. And so we have an obligation, I believe, as an educators to communicate that to our young people. So uh, a drop, a, a large drop in sexual activity among teens. Some people attribute this to the rise of the internet. Um, certainly there's something to that. Um, but for whatever reasons, uh, sexual activity uh, is down among teens. This is the uh, chart that I'm just building my charts off of. Uh, you can see it's that uh, currently sexually active one down there is the one that I just built that chart off of, 37.5 down to 27.4. Okay. But here's the graph that I really wanted to get to uh, because this is the one that most animates our work. We are greatly concerned about the very sharp rise in non-marital births nationally. Um, this is uh, something that uh, should cause great concern uh, because where we do not have strong marriages and families, we're going to have other issues that we're going to have to uh, deal with. Now, you can see from this chart that in about 1960, something happened, right? I'm not a rocket scientist, but I can look at this and go, um, I would say uh, it's around 1960 that the wheels came off. And you can see uh, the stability of the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and then kaboom, uh, this is the what is referred to as the, wait for it, sexual revolution. And so the sexual revolution has had a dramatic impact uh, on our culture. And again, I'm saying sex education is essentially a codification of the sexual revolution. We're teaching the sexual revolution, which is nothing about marriage. And again, if you know of a sex, seriously, if you know of a sex education curriculum in America that teaches kids about the benefits of waiting until marriage, please shoot it over to me because I'd like to see it. Never seen that. Um, so that, that's a real problem. And, uh, so what the sex education message is, is not wait until marriage, but wait until you get yourself some contraception. And once you get yourself some contraception, you're good to go. Now that's not just me. That's the smart people. Listen to this from, uh, 
this is Brad uh, Wilcox at the University of Virginia. And uh, he says, uh, he says, over the course of the last 40 years, more children have been born and reared outside of a married home, at least in part because the sexual revolution undercut the norm of premarital sexual abstinence. Most scholars who have studied the nation's recent retreat from marriage over the last four decades agree that the sexual revolution played an important role in fueling this retreat. And then listen to what he quotes here. Dr. George Akerlof, a Nobel Prize winning economist at the University of California, Berkeley, argues that the sexual revolution, aided in part by widespread contraception, fueled the dramatic increase in premarital sex and reduced the normative imperative that men should take responsibility for the children they help bring into the world by marrying, these two developments in turn led to dramatic increases in non-marital childbearing. Well, that's the graph we're looking at. So here you have a Nobel Prize winning economist professor at the University of California, Berkeley, and he says that this graph is an indication of the influence of the sexual revolution in the 1960s and the widespread availability at that time of contraception. And so again, that's what sex education classes are going to essentially teach. And that we are uh, uh, trying to help young people understand uh, why this particular graph is not, uh, not necessarily helpful uh, for our society. So in 1960, you had one in 20 kids born to a married mom and dad. Uh, that was one in three. Uh, no, born outside of marriage, one in 20 born outside the context of marriage. By the year 2000, that had gone all the way to one in three. And the question then is, where is this going? I mean, is it going to be the case that soon in the United States, most American children will be born outside the context of marriage? Now, the CDC breaks this down demographically. We're already over one in two in the Hispanic community and almost three quarters, two thirds to three quarters in the black community. So, you know, all of this is of concern. Because what our goal is, whether they're white kids, Hispanic kids, or black kids, we believe strongly that all young people should have the opportunity. Again, that's our key word in our mission statement. Our key word is opportunity. We believe that every kid in the country should have the opportunity to learn about these things. And again, when we teach kids, I, what I say is, we're not saying you have to do this. You do not have to wait until you're married to have sex. What we're trying to help you understand is here are the benefits of doing so. Whatever you choose to do, completely up to you. But here's the, here's the information you need to know. Now, this graph uh, also is, now this graph is all, uh, all age, age ranges. Now watch what happens when we zoom in on uh, just the young 20-somethings. Uh, in the United States, you already have over 50% of children born in the United States to women in their young 20s uh, are over 50% and almost 90% in the black community. So this should be of concern uh, to us. I actually have a quote from uh, Barack Obama that I think really kind of gets to this. Uh, it was a Father's Day speech he gave, and I'd like to read it, uh, just a, a portion of it, because I think what uh, President Obama was saying here is perfectly consistent with what we're trying to teach young people regarding these things and the success sequence. Obama said, of all the rocks upon which we build our lives, we're reminded today that family is the most important. We are called to recognize and honor how critical every father is to that foundation. 
They are teachers and coaches. They are mentors and role models. They are examples of success and men who constantly push us toward it. But if we're honest with ourselves, we'll admit that what too many fathers also are is missing. Missing from too many lives and too many homes. They have abandoned their responsibilities, acting like boys instead of men. And the foundations of our families are weaker because of it. You and I know how true this is in the African-American community. We know that more than half of all Black children live in single-parent households, a number that has doubled, doubled since we were children. We know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of schools, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. They're more likely to have behavioral problems, to run away from home, or become teenage parents themselves. And the foundations of our community are weaker because of it. We also need families to raise children. We need fathers to realize that responsibility does not end at conception. We need them to realize that what makes you a man is not the ability to have a child. It's the courage to raise one. And then he's going to get into something that we make a very clear point of, because when I'm teaching this to young people, I'm going to say to them, now listen, listen, listen. When I say that it's best for kids to have a mom and a dad, am I saying that a single mom can't be a great mom, can't do a great job? No, of course not. In fact, most single moms are doing a heroic job. It's tough. And they're working very, very hard. And most of them are heroes. So I've been saying that for years. And then I saw this in President Obama's quote. We need to help all the mothers out there who are raising these kids by themselves. The mothers who drop them off at school, go to work, pick them up in the afternoon, work another shift, get dinner, make lunches, pay the bills, fix the house, and all the other things it takes parents, both parents to do. So many of these women are doing a heroic job, but they need support. They need another parent. Their children need another parent. That's what keeps their foundation strong. It's what keeps the foundation of our country strong. And it goes on, but you get the point. I think President Obama was saying in that speech, everything that we're saying in our program, and that is we wanna help a new generation of young people understand how to form healthy marriages and families. And it begins by learning discipline and self-control, focusing on academic achievement, resisting sexual pressure, and reserving sex for marriage. And so here's our mission statement that I began with, that we seek to ensure that every teenager in the country has the opportunity or a clearly reasoned, positive presentation on the benefits of absence into marriage and instruction preparing for a healthy future marriage. Well, I could go on and on, but you better stop me here. Because, uh, this train's rolling. No, what I really appreciate is, I think in both episodes, it expanded past just like sexual activity. There was, it's more to it. And what I appreciate about what you're saying is, you're pushing kids to think about like goals for their whole entire life, not just this one activity. And then you're saying that based on the research, when children are coming from two-parent homes, they are less likely to have certain outcomes. So it's not just like yes. me, like doing whatever I want, when I want, and not having control over myself, That's but it's right. me having control over myself because my actions will have a ripple effect, not just on myself, but any children I create or anybody I enter into a relationship with, which we trickle down into the greater society. And I think a lot of times when we're having this conversation, we're not even talking about like 
my actions impacting others and talking about the skill of self-control because um, now when you mentioned the sexual revolution, that has turned to some people now being in counseling and therapy for sex addiction because they have gone, they have no self-control and self-control is a skill that we need in life, whether it's um, sexual activity, what we're eating, you know, being active, um, you know, saving our money because that's self-control. So there's so many aspects um, with your programming that I believe the skills are applicable to yes. many aspects in life. And then as you said, yeah. it's, it's an opportunity. And I also feel that we don't give students enough credit for their ability to take in information and make informed decisions about how they want to live. And then when I think about the data you showed when you broke down that teenager also means college student, I think about being at Purdue and you just walked in and you there's just this basket of condoms. And like, it's just like, and oh, you could just sign up and get birth control because now you're an adult. You don't have to involve, involve your parents. But there wasn't this whole thing of like, if I'm in college and I have a kid, what is the impact on that kid now being born to me while I'm in school and all these other things? So I appreciated what you said about the fact that it's not just this conversation is important for our students, but this conversation is important for us to live by even as adults um, yes. out in the world. Um, well, you, th let me just jump in there because that's a very important point that you just made. See, it's not about um, you need to hear this message because you're just little kids. You're too young. It's not that. I'm not telling them anything that doesn't also apply to myself. I, too, need to exercise self-control and reserve sexual activity for the context of marriage. See, think about this. The whole condom message, for example, the bowl of condoms at Purdue, for example. <laughs> what? What habits and patterns and lifestyle are you learning and practicing and developing? And how is that preparing you for healthy future marriage? You know, if, if the message is just make sure that you've got a condom just in case, you know, because <laughs> you never know, you know, sex could break out at any time. Um, you know, how does that work in real life? You know, um, in, in terms of when you're married in the future. So one of the illustrations I use in, in my seminars, for example, is I'll say, look, when a guy is married and he's away from his wife on a business trip, should he have sex with anybody he meets along the way? Or should he reserve all sexual activity for the context of his marriage? See, in other words, it's the same. Whether you're a, a junior high kid, a senior high kid, or whether you're married, the message is the same that sex is best reserved for the context of a marriage relationship. And if the message is on the, see, when the wife, when the husband is leaving on a business trip for a week, the wife doesn't say, oh, honey, make sure to take a box of condoms with you because you never know who you're going to meet along the way. See, <laughs> in other words, that message isn't applicable. What I'm teaching young people, self-discipline and self-control is it's fidelity. It's it's understanding that when I make a commitment, that when I say I do, I will. We're teaching healthy future marriage as well. We're teaching them the skills and the character qualities and the traits that are going to be necessary to form a healthy, stable marriage relationship. Not just have condoms in case you know you happen to meet someone, um, but it's it's far more developed than that. It's far more rich and rewarding and beneficial for our young people than the, what I would call a shallow, superficial message of the bucket of condoms. <laughs> well, 
Well, we're coming to a close on our episode. And normally uh, what I do is give you the big screen um, just to share some final thoughts. Definitely let my followers know where they can find you at because you definitely share some curriculum um, that yes. parents, teachers may want to um, um, get their hands on. So. Oh, excellent. Okay, so two things. Uh, so we have uh, ampartnership.org is Absence and Marriage Education Partnership. And that's where we do a lot of our policy work and advocacy and encouragement and so forth. And then our curriculum division where you can get the materials, that is successsequence.com. I talked about what the success sequence is. And so you can go to successsequence.com and you will find there our curriculum division has not only the paper workbooks like these. Here, I've got them here in my, here in my hands. You can see that this is the game plan book, quest. Uh, and then it goes Aspire and then a Navigator. These are the four workbooks that I mentioned. Uh, you can not only uh, order paper workbooks for your kids to go through, but we also have an online learning course that's been developed that's really good. It has video teaching. It has uh, stories. There's a lot more involved in the video component, the online learning course, and that is also available at successsequence.com. You can get the rest of our contact information there too, ampartnership.org and successsequence.com. You can shoot us an email uh, or call us uh, anyway. We're happy to help you out. And uh, particularly if you're a teacher, an educator, a superintendent, uh, I will be in Indiana, uh, by the way, at the uh, teacher training seminar for the uh, health teachers at the end of this month. Uh, are we February yet? No, end of next month. End of February, beginning of March, I think it is, in Indianapolis. So. Well, thank you, Scott. I much enjoyed talking to you uh, this afternoon, and I definitely learned information, and I'm going to check out your uh, curriculum because it sounds very interesting, and I really appreciate you giving us a bigger con. Uh, text of abstinence education because right. I think that is definitely lacking and I'm glad to um, hear that you are providing these opportunities for parents um, to better have these conversations and for teachers who are implementing your curriculum um, to implement it and provide this as an option and an opportunity um, for students um, to use. So guys, thanks for tuning in and until next time. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.